I'm going to talk out of Genesis chapter number four, verses one through eight. We'll look at these uh, verses in the New Living Translation. Now, Adam had sexual relations with his wife, Eve. Who did he have sex with? Thank you. He had sex with his wife. That was real deep revelation. Sex is for married people. Sex is for mature people. Sex is for married people. I'm going to keep going until I get a strong amen. Sex is for married people. <laughs> you must want me to stop, right? <laughs> now, Adam had sexual relations with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. The operative verses out of the open Bible represent our emphasis. Why are you angry? The Lord asked Cain, why is your face so dark with rage? It can be bright with joy if you will do what you should. But if you refuse to obey, watch out. Sin is waiting to attack you, longing to destroy you. But you can master it. Now understand, God would never require anything of us that he has not given us the ability to accomplish, to achieve. But you can master it. The subject for the next few minutes is why are you angry? And this complements our stress management series because we are dealing with a lot of angry people. Anger can many times be very subtle. And there are times when we can pass it off and, 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 and play it off and dismiss it as, oh, it's really not a big deal. But anger is very serious when it is left unbridled, unharnessed, unmanaged. Why are you angry? Now, I taught this teaching series in our local church. It took me 10 weeks to do it, so I'm just trying to bring um, just some, some points uh, into the equation to complement our stress management uh, teachings. I cannot complete this, so you all just bear with me, all right? And the church said? Amen. Huh? When we begin addressing the subject of anger, we not only see the Bible filled with people who were angry, but we are living in a world filled with angry people. Many are dead and some are in prison. They're incarcerated because of uncontrolled, unbridled anger. Our children are angry, our teens angry. We have males who are angry, females who are angry. A man angry with the federal government deliberately flies his plane into the IRS building, the Columbine, and so many other shootings filled with, with anger. The Virginia Tech shooting as was a result of someone filled with anger. Over and over, we see it permeating social media and mainstream media. Anger. 
A man kills his wife, murders his children, turns the gun on himself, takes his own life. A boyfriend kills a girlfriend, then kills himself. Children attacking parents. And anger and rage fill the basketball courts, the football fields, the classrooms. And all around us today, we find ourselves facing angry, angry people. We witness anger dur during the, the road rage incidents. Perhaps in a grocery store, a mall, a hospital, in the marketplace, and sadly, within the local church. Why are we so angry? And you witnessed it. You witnessed it in, in children. You witnessed it in, in teens. You witnessed it in the, the corporate sector. You've witnessed it in our government. All around us, we see the anger. And anger, please understand, is often a misunderstood emotion and certainly a much abused emotion. I'm not saying that we do not feel anger. I'm saying that we never need be ruled by anger, controlled by anger, though I, I feel it, something hurt me, something disappointed me. Yes, I feel anger, but I do not have to be ruled by it. And this teaching addresses the wrath of man and not the wrath of God. God's wrath is always a direct result of man's disobedience. A direct result of man's sin. God hates sin. And he has zero tolerance for it. We're living in a time wherein people do not want to talk about, listen, the consequences or the boundaries associated with our choices. Just do what you want to do. Do what you feel like doing. You know, go where you want to go and say what you want to say and dress the way you want to dress. And, and nobody better say anything about it. God has much to say about how we live and, and what we say and our attitudes. And, and God wants us in relationship with him, but in the relationship with God, there are boundaries. And let me say, in any healthy relationship, there must be boundaries. When Reverend and I got married, you know, it's been almost 37 years ago, it was very clear that where, wherever he went, I knew where he was. And wherever I went, he, he knew where I was. And, and, and we had no secret passcodes. And, and we didn't have private bank accounts. And and I didn't just hang out when I wanted to hang out. I was accountable. Now, this is a relationship, and all healthy relationships must have boundaries. He didn't have a secret stash, and I have a secret stash. <laughs> Boy, this is going to be interesting today. <laughs> Truth is, in everything that we do, in all of our words, and all of our choices, our actions, there are consequences, sometimes positive consequences, sometimes negative consequences, sometimes good consequences, sometimes evil consequences. Every choice we make has consequences. And when we consider the reality of unbridled anger, the consequences don't just affect one person. Many people are affected. If you are an angry person, perhaps you're you're saying, well, this is my business and, and I'm only hurting myself, but I beg to differ because whenever we harbor anger, we do more than just hurt ourselves. We do hurt others in the process. I want to submit to us that the consequences of anger affect so many people in a long-lasting and a life-changing way. And so we consider these questions. Are you an angry person? Why are you angry? When we look in the Bible, why was Cain angry with his brother? Why was Job's wife so angry that she told her husband to curse God and die? Why was Moses so angry, angry to the point wherein he forfeited entering into the promised land and he did experience premature death because God told him one act of disobedience, God said, now you can get Joshua ready because you'll never reach the promised land. Powerful leader. But an episode of anger cost him his life. Why was Nabal angry? Why was Saul angry with David? Or why was Nehemiah angry? Why was Jonah angry? Why was Esau angry with Jacob? Why was Peter angry? And of course, why and when is God angry? Throughout the teaching, 
we're going to try to answer these questions. Is it ever okay to be angry? How many of you have ever just been angry? Been angry, been angry. Now, I don't want to ask how you manage that anger. Because it's important how we manage anger. Can you and I express anger without sin? Is that possible? Absolutely. Did Jesus experience and express anger? Absolutely. How can we express anger and remain in control? May I submit to us that it is possible to be angry and always be a person in control. It is important that we learn this, that we never allow the behavior of others to dictate our behavior. You did that. You said that. I didn't appreciate it. It was hurtful. It was disappointing. But I never need allow the behavior, the attitude, the actions, the words of others to dictate my behavior. Now, understand this requires discipline, and it does require maturity. Key questions we must personalize. Am I an angry person? Now, let's not think about anybody else. Let's just engage this moment, this teaching, and examine ourselves. Am I an angry person? Am I still harboring bitterness in my heart because someone hurt me? They took something or someone from me. They insulted me. They frustrated me. They offended me. Is there any evidence in my life that I am an angry person? How much does it take for me to get angry? Are you easily ticked off? You wear your feelings on your shoulders? Easily agitated, easily frustrated? Now, this is something that we often say, and, and I'm going to challenge it, we often say, she made me angry, he made me angry. We use the terminology, he made me mad, she made me mad. And nobody, nobody on planet Earth can make you angry. When I say that they made me angry, all I'm saying is that I entered into agreement with a negative emotion, you see. And I don't have to enter into agreement with a negative emotion ever. Because God gave us the ability to exercise self-control, self-government. So much so that the scripture is clear that it is my responsibility to keep under my body. To bring my body in subjection to the will of God and the word of God, lest that after I have preached the gospel to others, I am looked upon as a counterfeit, as a castaway, teaching and preaching things that I don't believe myself or that I'm not already perfected in. God has given us the ability to exercise self-control. Now, I do understand once we're born again, the body will do whatever it did before I became a Christian, before I became a follower of Christ. It is my responsibility to keep my body under control. And I control my body by making sure that my mind is renewed with the word of God because my body only does what is in my soul. My body only does what is in my mind. How much does it take for me to get angry. How do I demonstrate anger? Does anger master me or do I master it? And like Cain, can others see the anger upon my continents? Have you ever talked to an individual, they became so angry, you saw a twitching going on and it, I mean the jaws start twitching or you know their, their, their hands are clenched or you see something flickering in their eyes, you know you better back off and leave them alone, right? You don't keep pushing that button because something is, is happening in a, a physiological sense because of what's going on in the mind. Anger in and of itself is not necessarily evil. Just as money in and of itself is not evil. It is what we do with anger. It is, it is what we, we do when we're in a situation where we're agitated. It is how we, how we choose to manage anger that determines how lethal it really is. The Bible never says to us, don't be angry. It does say, however, be angry and sin not. So it is possible that I'm, I'm angry, but I master it, I control it. I don't have to sin against God. I don't have to shoot somebody, hit somebody, curse somebody out, tear somebody down, berate or assassinate and uh, kill the influence, the character of another individual because I'm experiencing that time of anger. The Bible says that we should not go to bed angry. Now understand the, the way the, the scripture says it. It says, 
Do not allow the sun to go down on your wrath. Understand, giving place to the devil. As long as I harbor unresolved issues in my heart, anger in my heart, I give place to the enemy. And it, how many of you have noticed that if you go, go to bed with an issue on your mind, an issue in your heart, you go to bed with that stuff, it festers, and when you get up, you're more angry the next day than you were where you went. To, it sinks down into the unconscious mind. And so God says, deal with it before you go to bed with it, lest you practice the ways of an angry man. Our point of emphasis, the issue with anger is really an issue of exercising self-government, self-control. Anger can be a powerful emotion for good, listen, when it is governed by the word of God. Anger is a matter of the heart. Anger is a matter of the heart. Now, as I mature and as I grow, I consider where people are. We deal with people in life based upon where they are. And we're all on different levels. We're in different stages and different seasons. And so we have to deal with people not where we think they ought to be. You ought to be more mature than that. You ought to know better than that. No, they don't know any better than that. So I interact with people based upon where they are, not where I think they ought to be, but I must be mature enough to manage each and every situation in a manner that brings glory to God. Anger is a matter of the heart. Our point of emphasis, it is not what is on the outside that determines whether or not we win or lose in life, but rather what's on the inside. And if there is no enemy within, there is no enemy without great enough to defeat us. Our greatest enemy, please pay attention, our greatest enemy is not external. Our greatest enemy is internal. It's the enemy in me. And many times we find ourselves warring with other individuals, and that's really not the issue. That's not my problem. The greatest enemy that I fight is the enemy inside of me. And we know it to be so, but we'll pass ourselves off as being spiritual giants, knowing that we're struggling on the inside, knowing the weakness is there. There's the reality of some struggle, but we have to appear to be something that we're not. That's actually called a hypocrite. Matthew 15, 16 through 20. Well, who are you calling a hypocrite? I ain't calling any names. But anytime I present an image that is in opposition to who I really am on the inside, that's what we call hypocritical. Because I want you to believe something about me that's not true. Matthew 15, 16 through 20. I want his mama. <laughs> Don't you understand yet, Jesus asked, anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. But the words you speak come from the heart. Anger is a matter of the heart. That's what defiles you. Now, the, the religious leaders, they call Jesus on the carpet, and they're upset. Your disciples eat without washing their hands. And Jesus says, wait a minute, there's a greater matter here that we're dealing with. He's dealing with the issues of the heart. From, for from the heart, verse 19, from the heart come, look at this, evil thoughts. And we're not talking the organ that pumps blood throughout the body. We're talking about the soul of a man. The soul, the mind of a man. So Jesus says it is from the heart. The soul, we see evil thoughts. Can you see it? It's in the word murder. Before I murdered, the thought was in the heart. It was in the soul. Before I had those, listen, the, the, that sexual immorality, before that occurred, it was in the heart. It was in the soul. Before the theft, before the lying, before the slander, it was in the soul. It was in my mind first because my behavior is proportional to what's going on in my soul. So Jesus says, let's go back to verse 18. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. Verse 20, these are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. Jesus says, I want to deal with something that's deeper. I want to deal with the posture of the heart. I want to deal with the, the position of your heart because whatever I'm doing externally 
it is proportional to what's going on on the inside of me. And this teaching really is a stress eliminator, and it will greatly aid any person who wants to exercise self-government and enjoy healthy relationships with others. However, the audience I primarily address today is the family of God. On many occasions throughout premarital counseling, we ask the, the parties involved in premarital counseling to make sure before you say I do, you observe this person in a heated situation. You want to see how he manages anger. You want to see how she manages anger. Before you ever say I do, before you get married, why don't you create a scenario that will incite anger so that you can see what's really on the inside? It's a great challenge for all of our young people because anger can be very destructive if left unattended. God is never angry because he is selfish or insensitive to our needs. God's anger is always just. His anger is righteous and his anger is only exemplified in the presence of sin. Now, this is, this is going to push all of us. Do you know that the only time you and I should ever be angry is in the presence of sin? We should not just be walking around angry people. I'm just mad, kicking stuff, hitting stuff, throwing stuff. I'm just mad and cannot articulate, why are you angry? The only time we should really be angry is in the presence of sin. <laughs> God's anger is, is, is righteous, and his anger is only exemplified in the presence of sin. God is never, pay attention, God is never out of control. And how many of you understand that we're living in a world where we're watching people who are just out of control? dangerously out of control. God is never ruled by situations and circumstances. He's never ruled by, by feelings. He's never ruled by emotions, though he gave us the ability to feel and he gave us emotions and even understanding our emotional health, emotions must be managed so that they are mastered. But we should not be ruled ever by our emotions. Sure, we cry, we, we feel joy, we feel sadness or sorrow, but we still operate in a, a manner by which we manage these emotions. I'm gonna get in trouble. You, you, just, you, you can feel horny, but you have to manage that. Ooh, I feel horny. Oh, listen, you got to manage that. You cannot bow to a feeling, to a whim, a desire. The desires are there. I understand this. The desires are real. But just imagine if everybody walked around bowing to just being horny. Y'all know you ain't going to say nothing. Because <laughs> I, I came to church today. I was feeling horny when I got here. <laughs> Don't play me. I, I know too much. God's never out of control. God represents moral, listen, and spiritual perfection. Whenever God is angry, he is still a God who is in control. He's still a God who is sovereign. He's still a God who's very loving. His judgment is never clouded because of anger. And I want you to understand this. Whenever we get into that place of being ruled by anger, our judgment is always clouded. I do not make righteous discernments and decisions in the face of anger. My judgment is clouded. Now, when we describe God, we understand that, that uh, this cannot be said of us because too often we find ourselves overtaken by our own anger. As a result, so many people are hurt, so many relationships are destroyed, so many people are destroyed in the demonstration of our anger. And yet, understand this, many times we say, I'm a follower of Christ, you know, I'm a believer. And yet we find ourselves cursing people out, engaged in road rage, shooting a birdie in traffic. Y'all know what shooting a birdie is? So Y'all can't play pastor now. There's no comparison between the wrath of God and human anger, that's human wrath. God alone is completely without sin. He's the only one great enough to deliver us from the stench of sin and the paralyzing impact, effect of anger. Pay attention. Holding grudges 
Demonstrating ungodly behavior as a result of anger is a sin, and sin will always bring guilt and shame and condemnation, failure, and ultimately death. The leading cause of death is sin. You missed that. Spiritual death, first and foremost, the leading cause of death is sin. And anytime we get into situations and circumstances where we're ruled by anger, something dies. Perhaps a relationship, my character, my credibility. Out of control anger has been referred to as one of the most lethal of all human passions. Anger, as powerful as it is, does not have to rule over us. We, we do not want to suppress it or subdue it. We need to deal with it. We do not want to deny anger. We want to master it, and we can do it. God has given us the ability. He's given us the grace. He's given us his Holy Spirit, and we're well able to control this thing, to master this thing. Suppressed anger is most lethal. Pay attention, because if it is in the human heart, it's working. If it is in the human heart, it's working. You can check out our young people. I've never seen so many young people who are just angry. Do I have a witness? Young people, angry. So many of our men, angry. So, so many of our women, just angry. And why? Can we assess the why? Unless we get to the root cause, we will forever deal with this issue. It's destroying us. The power to master anger is proportional to our willingness to submit our lives to God and truly yield to his word and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. There was a, two occasions I want, to, I want to mention something that happened years ago in our church. I, you know, I, I have a way of, I guess, rubbing people the wrong way because I'm just going to tell it like it is. And, and so um, we had a, back then we had a bulletin board and um, Somebody was upset with me about something, and they, they wrote on the bulletin board, F, Pastor Flowers. <laughs> That's in church. That's in church. So, you know, I mean, what, what can I do about it? I don't know who it is. You know, I pray for the individual, you see, but I cannot allow that and would not allow that to control my behavior. We had another incident where in one of the, the ladies at our church years ago, somebody had gone into her purse and taken money out of her purse. She knew what she came to church with, and... And um, she, she comes to tell me about it. And uh, I, I was very disturbed because now another individual has been taken advantage of. Another person has been hurt because of, of the greed or of the, the sickness in another individual. And I remember going into my office and God has given us these wonderful gifts, the, the gifts of the spirit. And, and um, I had asked God, show me who that was. Show me who did it, God, show me who did it. And God speaks to me very quickly, very softly very quickly out of his word. And don't you understand, when God speaks to us, he speaks to us out of his word. And, and, and we need to understand this, that but, but while we're running around saying, God, I need a word from you, I need a word from you. Why would God give us any other word when we won't obey the written word right before us? God wants us to obey the written word so much so that when we're in a situation or circumstance, it is his word that we've studied, that we've read. That's the word that comes up out of us. And so I'm saying, God, tell me who did it, because I want to deal with this individual. And God says to me, the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. So he would not reveal that to me because I was in a place wherein I was angry and I would not show forth the character of God. Can you see it? God will always speak to us out of his word. Now, when I, when I speak about this anger, the, the, the power to master anger, listen, is proportional to our willingness to submit our lives to God and to truly, pay attention, truly yield to his word and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So God, if I do this because I'm angry, what are the associated, what are the built-in consequences? If I do this, what are the consequences? There are consequences to every choice. Now, what would we look like as the followers of Christ if we would always consider the consequences before we move on that choice? If I do this, this is what's going to happen, right? Are you all thinking with me? Anger is the precursor. It is the forerunner to rage. Rage all too often leads to destructive behavior. You've seen people out of control. They started, they were angry. And then it escalated to rage. And then there's destructive behavior. 
It is impossible for any of us to hide what is in the heart. A person's countenance, a point of emphasis, a person's countenance will always expose the condition of the heart. You see, I have looked at people and I can see when there's jealousy. You can't hide it, it's in the heart. You can look at a person and you can tell when there's anger, you can't hide it, it's in the heart. The countenance cannot hide what's in the heart. Cain had an internal struggle that his countenance could not hide. He was upset with his own brother. Abel did what was right. He gave God what God required of him. And God respected, accepted his gift. Cain is going to give God a less than acceptable gift. God had issue with it. Called him on the carpet about it. Cain is upset with Abel. Why? Because what was going on on the inside of him, the Bible says, was evil. This teaching alerts all of us to the one area in which so many of us struggle. That area is unbridled, out of control anger. Jealous, hatred, bitterness, unforgiveness, anger, and violent resentment contaminate the soul. And the Bible does not tell us how long Cain was, was, was angry. It doesn't tell us how long Cain dealt with this internal conflict before what was in his heart was actually played out. It's kind of like, I want you to hear this, anger can fester in the heart of a person for years. A person can vow, I'm going to get him or her back, whatever it takes, how long it takes. And such was the case with a young man by the name of Absalom, when his brother Amnon raped the sister Tamar. Now Tamar was actually Amnon's half-sister, but Absalom's whole sister. But Amnon raped her. Absalom vowed, I'm going to get him back. And years later, he killed his half-brother because he raped his sister. Anger can be in the heart for a long time. And there are people who go to their graves with anger in their hearts, bitterness in their hearts, unforgiveness in their hearts. The issue was never reconciled. There was never a resolution. It was never dealt with. And so they died harboring that stuff in their hearts. It's a cancer. Are you all still here? Did y'all leave and go home? I told you, your lead pastor will be back next week. Give me a minute. He'll be back next week. I want to reiterate, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment, jealous hatred, rage can be housed in the heart, the human heart, for years. This is what you don't want to do. You don't want to be in relationship with an angry man. And I want to prove it from the scripture. It's in uh, Proverbs 22, 24 through 25. We want to build healthy relationships the Old Testament is, is our schoolmaster. And from it, we're able to extract spiritual principles and much admonition from the experiences of others. And so the scripture says in Proverbs 22, 24 through 25, make no friendship with an angry man. Oh, no, you want that person to be your friend anyway. God is smarter than we are. He's wiser than we are. He sees what we don't see, and he knows what we don't know. And when God says there's an admonition, make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go. And he says, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. Angry people are some dangerous people. Now, let's look at what God is saying to us. How many of you, this is your terminology, it is important who you're rolling with. It is important who you're running with. It's also important who you're sleeping with. Amen. Furious, it is chema. In the Hebrew, it is poison. It's where we get our English word, chemotherapy. And I understand the benefits of, of chemotherapy, but while chemotherapy is... Is, is killing cancerous cells. It's also killing good cells. Chemotherapy is poison. God says you don't need to be rolling with a chemo man, a poison person. The, the toxicity, understand, it is, is lethal, so it, it is important. We can have healthy relationships, but God has a way in his sovereignty, in his wisdom, to point up to us relationships that are detrimental, they're dangerous. I cannot build relationships with just anybody. It is important who I build relationships with. And understand, once I'm born again, God sets some boundaries and he says, now, you can build relationships with these people, but these people, he says, you can't fool with. 
he's not prejudiced, he's not racist. He's a loving God, and he is thinking about our health, our well-being. I understand this. My relationships will take me higher or they will derail me. They are healing me or they are killing me. They complement God's purpose for my life or I'll never reach God's plan for my life. Not in this relationship. Make no friendship with an angry man, with a, a chemo man, a poisonous man. Understand the Bible speaks generically. This is inclusive of the male man, the female man. So whether male or female, God says if they're poisoned, you don't need to be building relationships with these kinds of people. He says, you'll, you'll learn, notice a very powerful point here. He says, lest you learn their ways. You see, whoever I'm running with, building relationships with, I'm learning their ways. How many of us have been in relationships with people and we found ourselves adapting to, conforming to? Now you dress like them, you look like them, you walk like them, you talk like them. Listen, you drink like them. Relationships have a powerful impact upon our lives, for good or for evil. God warns us. It's all throughout Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Be not deceived. Everybody say God is smarter. God is smarter. Evil communications. That word there in the Greek is associations. Evil communications, associations corrupt good manners. So it doesn't matter how sound my character, how credible I am. Listen, I start running with people who are crooked, who are corrupt in their character. I will soon find myself adapting to their ways. Evil communications will corrupt good manners. We've done this, parents, if you've, if you've uh, lived a minute with our children. We say, no, you can't play with them. You can't go over there. Why? We saw something going on, and we didn't want our child shaped by that, caught up in that. And even the laws of the land, if you're caught in a situation, you're guilty by association. If you ain't doing that, why are you over there? You don't smoke dope, why are you running with those who do? Right? Are y'all all right? You're not selling dope, why are you running with those who do? Do I need to continue? <laughs> if you ain't doing it, why are we so comfortable with those who do? There's a problem with this. God tells us that we soon learn, adapt to, and conform to the ways of those we're in relationship with. People who are ruled by feelings, emotions, or anger. Listen, this is, this is coming. What did my son say? Coming for your neck, your edges? I'm like, what? <laughs> what? what are you saying? People who are ruled by feelings, emotions, or anger, listen, are often unstable people. And unstable people will influence us to be unstable. I know it's so. Undealt with, uncontrolled, unresolved anger is a destroyer. It is lethal and it does not fit within the confines of that pattern of behavior unique to the followers of Christ. Unbridled anger will cause self-destruction as well as the destruction of so many others. We see this thread all throughout the scripture. So our purpose, we want to build some healthy relationships. Let's look at some things that we need to abandon. Let's abandon, abandon any temperament or attitude that, that disrupts our relationship first with God and then with others. We want good relationships with, with people who are moving in the same direction. Now, I just want to throw this out. Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together except they be agreed? In other words, can we go in the same direction unless we're in agreement? We cannot move in the same direction with God unless we're in agreement with God. And in our relationships, listen, we're not moving in the same direction unless we're in agreement. Now, what direction are we headed? Abandon any temperament or attitude that disrupts our relationship first and foremost with God and then with others. Can we just be real? Come on. I will not allow anybody or anything to disrupt, number one, my relationship with God. And I won't allow anybody to disrupt my relationship with my husband. So the, 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 the ladies already, the married women already in our church know one of the things you're not going to do, you're not going to run the pastor and down your husband. You're, you're not going to berate your husband, tear down your husband and come talk to me about it now. Sure, he has weaknesses. Let's deal with that. But we're not going to run him down. You see, because I'm not going to run down my husband and I'm not going to let you run down my husband. You understand this? 
I will not allow anybody, it doesn't matter, I won't allow anybody or anything to disrupt my relationship with God. And it is my relationship with God, this vertical relationship that dictates the horizontal relationship. So first and foremost, I want to make sure everything's cool between me and God. Everything's cool between me and my father. Are we all understanding? And then my relationship with others, those that I do ministry with, that I lead with, those that I co-labor together with. It's good preaching. Good preaching. I, look, look, look. I'll say amen to my own teaching. Abandon any behavior that violates the trust factor. Now, come on, let's understand this. I can care for you, love you, but if I can't trust you, we'll never be able to build a healthy relationship. It's the same in marriage. I can love my husband, love my wife, but if I can't trust you, how can we build a healthy relationship? I can't trust you. Trust is something that is earned. It is not just given. And that's why you don't ever want to violate the trust factor. Can I trust you? We don't marry people that we can't trust. Is this true? See, I understand this, this audience is, is dominant in the unmarried, right? This is good teaching for unmarried people. You don't say I do and you know you can't trust them walking to the altar. You, you can't trust them? And, and understand this, mar marriage is until death do, we, do us part. No, I, 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 I ain't saying until death do us part. Well, why are you getting married? Divorce should not be an option. We don't, we don't go into this with divorce at the forefront of our mind. You know, they might act up. We're going to find out about this before you say I do. Because this might not be a prospect. <laughs> Y'all missed that one. This, is a, this may not be a prospect. I was thinking about my, our son. Do you all know our son would not marry Tanisha until he first talked to me and his dad? He had to see if we were going to be okay with her. And I'm, listen, I have no regrets. She's the finest daughter-in-law anybody could ever ask God for. I have no regrets. But this guy had enough sense to say, if my mom and daddy say, you ain't the one, bye, see you later. Ooh, can y'all take straight talk? Ooh. Never mind. <laughs> Y'all nosy, boy, y'all nosy. Ah, <laughs> oh, no way. Oh, let, me get, let me get back in there. Let's abandon any behavior that violates the trust factor. Abandon any behavior that renders us useless. Listen to the plan of God. I want God to be pleased with me. And I, I don't want to be disqualified. Let's render our lives of anything, listen, that gives place to the devil. And, and understand this. You know what gives place to Satan. Because if it is sin, listen, you understand God's not in this. Let's abandon anything that dishonors God. Abandon anything that destroys, listen, our physical, psychological, our spiritual, our emotional, our relational health. All this, how many of you know, understand this, that stress is a leading cause of death? It will trigger a heart attack, a stroke, an aneurysm, stress. And there are people, Nabal's a good example, become so angry, massive heart attack, and die. An example, Reverend and I counseled a couple years ago. I mean, they just couldn't get along. They just always fighting, always fighting. And they'd keep us up hours, I mean, late hours, just fussing and fighting. And so it got so bad until my husband told the guy, he said, listen, man, so you've been in this seven years, okay, just walk away. Walk away and just, you know, just chalk it up as some experience. Now, you have to understand, it took a whole lot for my husband to reach that place because we fight for marriages. And we believe that divorce should never be considered an option. This situation was, it, it had gotten so brutal. The Reverend says, okay, you need to back out. So the guy says, okay, I'm going to do that. Two weeks later, we get a phone call, wee hours in the morning. The guy and his wife had gotten into a scuffle, arguing, got really heated. He, he was so angry, had a massive heart attack. He died two weeks later. This is after my husband says, walk away, man. Just, you got some experience. This is, this is not working. Walk away. We get the phone call, and, and we, we wanted to know what was going on. He died in the bed with his wife. They're in the bed, arguing at each other. And that's where he died. You see, sometimes, and, and God is clear, 
It is not worth it. You don't want to be in relationships with people who are angry. This guy could not manage his anger. But the, the, the thing that Reverend and I saw, too, about this guy, now, this, now I want you to understand, he was a born-again man. He was saved. Y'all understand this? We're all flawed. There are no perfect people in this room. This guy was authentically born again, but he had an issue with anger that he just couldn't get a handle on, and it killed him. Y'all, y'all, so you stress. It's lethal. I'm almost done. How are we going to be able to eat after this? <laughs> You'll be fine. You'll be fine. We don't want to give place to the enemy. Did I give you all that one? Ridding our lives of anything that gives place to Satan, abandoning anything that dishonors God, abandoning anything that destroys our physical, psychological, spiritual, emotional, or relational health, abandoning anything that destroys unity. We want to abandon that. Abandon anything that serves, listen, as a springboard for continual conflict. And this was a situation uh, this young person was in. Now, anger, let's go to some bullets here. Anger is expressed in attitude, it's expressed in speech, it's expressed in behavior. Now, understand this, a silent partner, a silent person who is filled with anger, is a dangerous person. Your quiet people can be more lethal than those who are very assertive and very aggressive. The shaking of a child, loud, obscene words. But we don't, we don't use obscene words in here, right? You know. Irrational and foolish talking. Ephesians 5 talks about foolish jesting and, and uh, dirty jokes. It is not appropriate considering our purpose. Throwing of objects. Now, we're, com we're communicating, but this is not effective communication. How many of you know when you slam a door, you're communicating? You throw a glass at my head, you're communicating. That's not, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's not healthy, that's not positive communication, but you're communicating. Throwing of objects, abuse of a, another individual, slamming doors, any display of destructive behavior. Anger is expressed in attitude, in speech, in behavior. Sometimes it's expressed in being the silent partner. Pressing down on the accelerator. You ever been in, in a vehicle with somebody? They mad and they hit the accelerator. You're like, oh, God, just let me out alive. I'll never get, I won't get back in the vehicle with this individual ever again. Pressing down on the accelerator. Negative or slanderous posts throughout social media. Our point of emphasis. Anger impedes our ability, our ability to control our thoughts, and thus we'll never gain the mastery over anger if we cannot control our thoughts, if we do not renew our minds. Now, we, we have to be careful with this one because we're listening to too many voices, and, and, and whoever's whispering in your ear is God in your life. We're listening to too many voices. Sometimes it, it really is Satan speaking to us. He'll squat on your thinking, throw thoughts in your mind. It doesn't mean that's you because you're not the thinker of the thought. The devil put the thought there. How many of you know he has access to the mind? And he'll put all kinds of thoughts in the mind. And so we have to be mature enough to cast down those negative thoughts, those evil thoughts, those nasty thoughts, those dirty thoughts. That's not me. But that is Satan trying to manipulate and dictate my behavior by putting the thought in my mind. That's how he gains use of us. He puts the thought in the mind, and then we carry out that thought. We play it out in our lives. I have to examine my thoughts. Anger impedes our ability to control our thoughts, and thus we will never gain the mastery over anger if we cannot control our thoughts, that is, renew our minds. The most difficult task that we face after salvation is the renewal of the mind, the war it's in the soul. Battles are won and lost in the soul. If I'm going to win in life, I've got to win in my mind. Most anger is a result of three dominant components. Immaturity. You've seen it in children. They're angry. They can't get their way, right? You see it in selfishness. You see it in jealous hatred. It's also portrayed throughout the scripture. Many believe anger is a sinful emotion emotion. However, anger is only sinful when it is left unbridled, leaving the door open for Satan to use us to carry out his evil agenda. So you all know, I told you all I taught this 10 weeks, right? 
right? There's no way I was going to finish all of this in just a few minutes. I want you to know the distinction. There is righteous anger. It's called righteous indignation. That's the anger we see when Jesus is in the temple and he's throwing out the money changers and overturning the tables. And he says that you have made my father's house a den of thieves. It should be a house of prayer. That's what we call righteous indignation. The scribes, the religious leaders, he called them blind guys and called them hypocrites. That's righteous indignation, right? Then there's unrighteous anger. That's the anger that man exemplifies. It is that strong, it's that hostile emotion. It is stirred by hurt, fear, feelings of inadequacy, jealous hatred, insecurity, disappointment, insult, injury, or a wrong, whether real or perceived to oneself or to others. Only two, righteous indignation or this evil anger that is exemplified because of something that was done to us or something perceived, it still has to be managed. Now, I think the dominant way by which to make sure that we beat this is we need to make sure, first of all, that we're born again. I'm born of God's spirit and I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I find myself in the company of people who are mature enough to help, help me to manage anger, to learn to rise above it, to overcome it, never succumb to it. We can do it, but you've got to be willing to do it. Amen? Amen? So young people, church family, I would encourage all of us to make sure we examine all of our relationships, to make sure these relationships are healthy relationships. And, and ask the question, what is this relationship doing to me? Is it stressing me? Is it killing me? Is it stealing? Is it robbing? Am I stronger in Christ because of this relationship? Do I pray more, read the word of God more, attend church more? I'm a part of my small groups. My life is, is on a track. It's on a path for holiness. Or do I find myself in a relationship with a person and every time I'm with this individual, I find myself sinning against God? That proves to be problematic. Amen? Amen. 